We now come to questions to the Prime Minister. I would like to welcome the Prime Minister back to his rightful place in the chamber. The whole House and the whole country is delighted at his recovery and welcome back to his elected House. I now call the Prime Minister to answer his engagement question. Mr Speaker, thank you for your kind words and it is good to be back even though I've been away uh, for longer than I had intended. I would like to pay tribute uh, today to the 107 NHS and 29 care workers and all those who have sadly died from coronavirus. I know that the sympathies of the House are with their family and friends. And if I may, Mr Speaker, I would like to place on the record in this House my own thanks to all the staff at St Thomas's Hospital for the brilliant care that I received. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I will have further such meetings later today. I now call Simon Jupp. Simon Jupp. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And firstly, I'd like to welcome the Prime Minister back to where he belongs. And I'm sure the whole House will join me in congratulating him and his fiancée on the birth of their son, Wilfred. On coronavirus, tourism is absolutely crucial to the economy of the South West, including my constituency of East Devon. While I'm currently asking visitors to come back later once the lockdown has ended, I want to make sure our vital tourism industry survives so we can be open for business at the earliest opportunity. Can the Prime Minister assure me, my constituents and East Devon's tourism industry, that further and flexible financial support is coming to protect this crucial industry? Prime Minister. Uh, uh, yes, indeed, uh, Mr Speaker, I can. Uh, and I thank my honourable friend for what he's doing to campaign for tourism in uh, East Devon. And I can tell him that we're adding another uh, 1.3 million uh, to help uh, the tourism industry in that area. Uh, clearly, I think the priority of the government and uh, I believe of the, of the whole House is now to suppress uh, this disease further. Uh, as we uh, do that to get our economy going again and to encourage tourism across our whole country uh, and, of course, East Devon in particular. I now call the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I welcome the Prime Minister back to his place uh, and say that it's good to see him back in Parliament. I'm sure I speak for all of us when I say that. And although I've done this privately, can I congratulate him publicly with Carrie uh, on the birth of their son? Mr Speaker, when the Prime Minister returned to work a week ago Monday, he said that many people were looking at the apparent success of the government's approach. But yesterday we learnt, tragically, that at least 29,427 people in the UK have now lost their lives to this dreadful virus. That's now the highest number in Europe. It's the second highest in the world. That's not success or apparent success. So can the Prime Minister tell us how on earth did it come to this? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, first of all, of course, every death is a tragedy, and he's right to, to draw attention to the uh, appalling statistics, uh, not just in this country, but of course around the world. And I, I think I would echo really in answer to his question what we've heard from uh, Professor David Spiegelhalter and others, uh, that at this stage, at this stage, I don't think that uh, international comparisons and uh, the data is, is yet there to draw the conclusions uh, that we want. What I can tell him is that at every stage as uh, we took the decisions that we did, we were governed by one overriding principle and aim, 
and that was to save lives and to protect our NHS. And I, I believe that, of course, there will be a time to look at what decisions we took and whether uh, we could have taken different decisions. But I have absolutely no doubt that what the people of this country want us to do now is, as I said just now, to suppress this disease, to keep suppressing this disease, and to begin the work of getting our country's economy back on its feet. And I look forward to working with him and colleagues around the House to do just that. Mr Speaker, the argument that international comparisons can't really be made when the government's been using slides like this for weeks to do international comparison just really doesn't hold water. Um, I'm afraid that many people are concluding that the answer to my question is that the UK was slow into lockdown, slow on testing, slow on tracing and slow on the supply of protective equipment. And I want to go to yesterday's figures that show that whilst happily in hospitals it looks as though deaths are falling, deaths in care homes continue to go up. At the press conference last night, the Deputy Chief Scientific Advisor said, and I quote, what this shows us is that there's a real issue that we need to get to grips with in, to, in relation to what's happening in care homes. I, I couldn't agree more. But 12 weeks after the Health Secretary declared that we're in a health crisis, I have to ask the Prime Minister, why hasn't the government got to grips with this already? Uh, well, actually, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, I mean, he's, he's quite right, of course, to look at the, the crisis in care homes. And he's absolutely right to say that there's an epidemic uh, going on in care homes, which uh, is something I, I bitterly uh, regret. And uh, we're, we've been working very hard for weeks to, uh, to get it done. And a huge amount of effort has, has been uh, gone into by... Uh, literally tens of thousands of people to get the right PPE to care homes, to encourage workers in care homes to understand what is, uh, what is needed. And I can tell him, actually, that he's, he's not right in what he just said about uh, the state of the epidemic in care homes. As, as, as he looks at the figures, in the last few days, uh, there has been a palpable improvement. Uh, we must hope that that continues, and we will ensure that it does continue. Mr Speaker, uh, I'm grateful for that. I was using the slide the government put up at its press conference last night, which shows, sadly, that... And I, I accept there's a lag to the 24th of April because of the reporting position, but that, sadly, deaths in care homes have been rising every time they've been reported by the ONS. Um, and, and, and I have heard before from the First Secretary that numbers were falling. He said that a week ago Sunday. That's not borne out by these slides. We will wait to see what the next slides bring. Mr Speaker, on the 30th of April, the Government claimed success in meeting its 100,000 tests a day target. Since then, as the Prime Minister knows, the number has fallen back. On Monday, there were just 84,000 tests, and that meant 24,000 available tests were not used. What does the Prime Minister think was so special about the 30th of April that meant that testing that day was so high? Prime Minister. Well, actually, I think that uh, the right honourable gentleman was right last week when he paid tribute to the amazing work of uh, the NHS, uh, the logistics team, everybody involved in getting up from 2,000 uh, tests a day in March to uh, 
120,000 uh, by the end of, of April. And uh, yes, he's right that capacity uh, currently exceeds demand. We're working on that. We're running at about 100,000 uh, a day. But the ambition clearly is to get up to 200,000 a day by uh, the end of this month and then to go even higher. And as he knows and the whole, whole House will know, uh, testing, a, 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 a fantastic testing regime is going to be absolutely critical to our long-term uh, economic recovery. Kirsten. Uh, Mr Speaker, I did pay tribute last week and um, I'm glad the Prime Minister has now said that the target now is 200,000 tests a day by the end of this month. Um, but of course, just having a target uh, isn't a strategy. What is needed is testing, tracing and isolation. That's the strategy. Contact tracing was happening in the UK, uh, but it was abandoned in mid-March. We were told at the time that this was because it was, quote, not an appropriate mechanism. But yesterday, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer said it, to, it was to do with testing capacity. So can the Prime Minister just clarify the position for us? Why was contact tracing abandoned in mid-March and not restarted sooner? Prime Minister. As I think is readily apparent, Mr Speaker, to uh, every, everybody who's studied the, uh, the situation, and I think as the scientists would uh, confirm, the difficulty in, in mid-March was that uh, the uh, tracing capacity that we had, and had been, that had been useful, as he, as he rightly says, in the containment phase of the epidemic, uh, that capacity was no longer uh, useful or relevant since the uh, transmission from individuals within the UK uh, meant that it exceeded our capacity then. Now, the value of the test tracking and tracing operation that we're setting up now is that as we come out of the epidemic and as we get the new cases done, uh, we will have a team that will genuinely be able to track uh, and trace hundreds of thousands of people across the country and thereby to drive down the epidemic. And, and so, uh, I mean, it, to put it in, in, in a nutshell, it's easier uh, to do now that we've built up the team on the, on the way out than it was uh, as the epidemic took off. And I think uh, most people with, with common sense can see those uh, particular difficulties that we had at the time. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I, th I think the Prime Minister has confirmed it was a capacity problem. Can I wish the Government well on the tracking and tracing now and on the app that's being trialled in the Isle of Wight? We all want that uh, to succeed and we'll all support that uh, in uh, hopefully succeeding. Can I turn to protective equipment, uh, where clearly there are ongoing problems? Uh, just this week, the BMA survey said that 48% of doctors had to buy their protective equipment for themselves or rely on donations. That's clearly unacceptable. And it's obvious that this problem is going to get even more acute if and when the government asks people to return to work. We're clearly going to need a very robust national plan for protective equipment. Can the Prime Minister reassure the public that they won't be asked to return to work until that plan is in place? Prime Minister. Uh, yes, Mr Speaker, I, I certainly can. And I share his frustration about PP and the frustration that I think people have felt across the House and across the country. It's been uh, enraging to see the difficulties that we've had in supplying PPE to those who need it. But I do pay tribute again to the work of hundreds of thousands of people uh, involved in the logistics of supplying literally billions 
of items across the country in a timely way. Uh, there have been no national stockouts of any uh, PPE item, and we are now engaged in a massive plan to ramp up uh, domestic supply, and, and he'll be familiar with what uh, Lord Dighton uh, is now at work, so that, to get to his, 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 his final question, we are able, in the long term, uh, and it may be the long term, to satisfy the domestic needs of this, uh, of this country. Kirstama. And will, of course, be out the details about that plan uh, on Sunday. Kirstama again. Uh, Mr Speaker, I was going to come to the plan, and I'm grateful to the Prime Minister uh, for that indication. There are millions of people on furlough, as the Prime Minister knows, millions with children at home struggling with caring responsibilities. If they're to return to work, and if their children are to return to school, they need reassurance. I think we can all feel that, reassurance that it will be safe to do so. And that means they do need to know what the government's plan is for the next stage. So will the, will the Prime Minister give him that reassurance by setting out his plan as he says he will? And will he come to this House on Monday yeah. uh, to present that plan uh, and have questions across the House? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, I will of course uh, undertake that there uh, will be a statement uh, to the House as, uh, as you, Mr Speaker, and the House would properly expect about uh, what we propose tonight. So I just want to explain uh, to the House as a courtesy why it's happening on, a, on Sunday, Mr Speaker. I'm sure you'd be interested uh, to know that. The, the reason for that is very simple, that, that and, you know, we have to be sure that the data is going to support our ability to, uh, to do this. Uh, but uh, that data is coming in continuously over the next uh, few days. Uh, we'll want, if we possibly can, to get going with some of these measures on Monday. I think it would be a good thing, Mr Speaker, if, if people had an idea of what's coming the following day. That's why I think uh, Sunday, uh, the weekend, is the best time to do it. But of course, the House will be fully informed and the House will have the full opportunity to debate and interrogate uh, me or uh, the Government on that matter. And hopefully in the future it will be to the House first. Theresa Villiers. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Lockdown rules permit people to travel to work if their jobs are not ones that can be done from home. But some have faced criticism and pressure not to do that, including from announcements on London Underground wrongly saying they shouldn't be on the system unless they're key workers. Will the Prime Minister ask the Mayor to restore public transport capacity in London so my constituents can travel safely and we can keep as much of the economy going as possible. Prime Minister. Uh, I thank my right honourable friend and she's absolutely right that a crucial part of our uh, success now in uh, getting transport to run safely will be running a bigger and more expansive tube service uh, so that people can observe uh, social distancing. We will certainly be working with uh, the Mayor to try to achieve that, though there must be, and, and we'll come to this on, uh, on Sunday and next week as well, Mr. that there must be mitigations uh, to help people who, uh, for those reasons, for the reasons of social distancing, cannot use mass transit. And uh, there will be a huge amount of planning going into helping people to get to work other than by uh, mass transit. And uh, this will be, I hope, uh, I know that my right hon. Friend, will, as a former Secretary of State for Transport, uh, will agree, this is, uh, or should be, a new golden age for cycling. We now go across to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And I'd like to start by 
welcoming the Prime Minister back to Parliament and congratulating him and Carrie on the birth of their son Wilfred and I, of course, wish Wilfred every health and happiness. Mr Speaker, the UK's confirmed death toll now stands at close to 30,000. It is officially the highest in Europe and the second highest in the entire world and indeed there are some estimates putting the figure even higher and in my own community of Skye we've faced our own heartbreaking and devastating outbreak of COVID-19 over the last few days. I do agree with the Prime Minister when he says the worst thing that we could do now is ease up the lockdown too soon and allow for a second peak of this deadly virus. To protect our citizens the lockdown must remain in place for as long as it's needed. Well, many people might want to travel, for example, to the tourist areas during the better weather. Will you join with me in reminding everyone that non-essential travel is not permitted? And does he agree with me that the First Minister of Scotland and our approach should be only led by the best medical and scientific advice, not the politics of posturing? Prime Minister. Yes, uh, in, indeed, Mr Speaker. And uh, actually, I think that the last few weeks have shown the ability of the uh, governments of all four nations to come together and to deliver very clear messages uh, for our people. And I think it's been extremely helpful. I think the collaboration has been extremely helpful. And I can say to uh, the leader of the SNP that we will certainly uh, be working uh, with the government in uh, Scotland as we uh, will be working with the opposition, with uh, unions, uh, with business, to make sure that we get the unlockdown plan completely right. And, you know, what he says is absolute common sense. It would be an economic disaster for this country if we were to pursue a relaxation of these measures now in such a way as to trigger a second spike. And on that point, I'm in complete agreement with him. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm very grateful for the Prime Minister's answer and I commit myself and my party and my government colleagues in Edinburgh and working with them on that shared agenda. However, some of his own government ministers are not following his own advice. Instead of working with the Scottish Government, the Scottish Secretary of State has been making political arguments about the Constitution rather than scientific ones about saving lives. And he's not the only one. This is not the time for opportunistic politicking. This is the time when we all must work together to protect our NHS and to save lives. We anticipate the Prime Minister will be making a televised address on Sunday concerning the easing of lockdown. This cannot be undertaken without the full input and cooperation of all our devolved governments. We must end this period of mixed messaging from the UK Government. Will the Prime Minister commit today that the substance of his address will be fully agreed to with the devolved nations so that all of our governments continue with this vitally important work of saving lives? Prime Minister. Uh, yes, Mr Speaker. By the way, I forgot to thank uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman and other colleagues for his kind words about, uh, about Wilfred. And I just want to uh, thank him for that because I forgot to, uh, to say that. I'll be, I'll be marked down if, if I don't. Uh, so thank you. And I listen, I, I, I share uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman's uh, aims. We, we will do our level best uh, to make sure that uh, the outlines of this are, attract the widest possible consensus. I think that they, they can and, uh, and ought to. And I'm delighted uh, by his call for a, a prohibition, uh, and I quote, on political arguments about the Constitution. Uh, and I think that would be a warmly welcomed uh, across, the, across this country. We'll go across to Andrew Bowie. Andrew Bowie. 
Uh, thank you uh, very much, Mr. Speaker. And can I add my uh, welcome uh, to the Prime Minister? It's great to see him back in his place and add my congratulations to those of others, to himself and carry on the uh, birth of Wilfred. Um, Mr. Speaker, my right honourable friend will know that the oil and gas industry is suffering from a perfect storm at the present time, buffeted as it is by the global oil price crash and the uh, lockdown. This is a moment of real danger for the industry with the prospect of tens of thousands of job losses and less action being taken. Tax incentives and investment by this party over the last decade have, of course, been welcomed, but more action is needed now to protect jobs, ensure energy security and ensure a future for this industry, which is key to delivering net zero by 2050. So can my right honourable friend promise to bring forward the oil and gas sector deal as soon as possible and commit the UK government to investing in a transition part in the northeast of Scotland, ensuring a future for thousands of workers Prime Minister, thank you, Mr. Mr. Speaker, and I thank my my honourable friend very much for his excellent question, for all his campaigning for the oil and gas industry. The whole House will have heard the fervour and uh, learning with which he uh, speaks on that issue, and I can I can assure him uh, that uh, uh, our right honourable colleague, uh, the Secretary of State for Business, Energy, and Clean Growth, is actively engaged right now in uh, pursuing this with the Sector Trade Association, and I'm sure he'll be wanting to take up. Uh, uh, progress with him. Going across to Mike Amesbury. Mike Amesbury. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I welcome the Prime Minister back to his place on my birthday. Halton um, and Cheshire West and Chester councils covering my constituency have stepped up to the national challenge, providing essential services to vulnerable residents and businesses during this crisis. The government promised to do whatever it takes and fully compensate those councils and councils across the country. Yet both are millions of pounds short of the cost so far, billions nationally. How will the Prime Minister fulfil that funding promise and not return to the dark days of austerity? Prime Minister. Uh well, uh, Mr. Speaker, I can I can certainly uh, tell him that uh, the government has absolutely no intention of returning to the uh, A word, uh, which I won't quote. Uh, that is not uh, going to be our approach. We don't think that that is going to be necessary. What I can tell him is that we put already put another 3.2 billion, as he knows, into supporting local authorities and supporting some of the most vulnerable uh, throughout this difficult time. And we will continue to make sure that funding gets through to those who need it. But the crucial thing as I think colleagues across the House will understand, is that the more effectively we can suppress this virus and the faster we can restart our economy, the better our chances, as everybody knows, of getting the funding that we all need to the poorest and neediest in our society. And that's the course this government is going to follow. We'll go across to Raymond Chisty. Raymond Chisty. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Like other colleagues, I'm absolutely delighted to see the Prime Minister back at the dispatch box and congratulate him, him and carry on the birth of their child. Prime Minister, my constituent, Jackie Potter, recently lost her husband, Ashley, who was 64. The family would like to bury Ashley with a small church service, applying social distancing. If Ashley were to be cremated, this would happen. But as he is being buried under current guidelines, that is not possible. Can this anomaly between burials and cremations be urgently addressed so that families of all faiths who want to bury their loved ones applying social distancing and in a faith service are able to do so. 
Prime Minister. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker. And I thank my honourable friend and I extend my deepest sympathies to uh, the friends and family of, of uh, his uh, constituent, uh, Ashley. And um, uh, we're asking councils uh, to do exactly that, to, to help people to attend uh, without breaching the rules on social distancing. And I'm sure he'd appreciate that. We think that's the right balance to strike. We go across to Justin Mothers. Justin Mothers. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Undoubtedly, the furlough scheme has prevented mass unemployment. But when companies like BA use millions of pounds of public money to furlough those staff at the same time as handing out redundancy notices, it's a kick in the teeth to both those workers and the taxpayer. And it's concerning that reports today suggest the furlough scheme may be wound down after June. So, Prime Minister, wouldn't it be an obscenity, either through employer decisions or government inaction, if those people whose jobs we've been trying to save end up redundant anyway. Can I just say, before the Prime Minister answers, please will members ensure they don't have political slogans behind them when they are speaking. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr. Mr Speaker, I think actually the, the furlough scheme has been one of the uh, outstanding provisions that this government has been able to, to put in. I think it's given a huge numbers of people, more than six million people in this country, the security that they, that they need. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, what we want is to make sure that people continue to feel security. But at the same time, uh, what we also want is to enable people safely and securely to go back to work and uh, to earn their pay packets as they want to do. Ben Bradley. Mr Speaker, can I add my welcome and congratulations to my honourable friend and ask him if he agrees with me that our FE and HE institutions have a huge role to play in rebuilding our economy, particularly in supporting and retraining those who have lost their jobs. Has he considered what they might offer and indeed how we might incentivise them to offer the right qualifications and support, particularly for businesses and new entrepreneurs? Prime Minister. I thank him very much. Uh, I thank my friend very much for all the work he does uh, to champion the cause of education, particularly further education on the Education Select Committee. Uh, as he knows, the agenda of this government remains unchanged to unite and level up across our country uh, with infrastructure, technology, education uh, above all, and uh, that includes. Uh, our world-leading universities which are now formulating vaccines against this disease and of course further education, uh, the, the skills that our economy is going to need so badly for a sustained uh, economic recovery. We go across to Murray Black. Murray Black. Thank you Mr Speaker. Since the government are refusing to even discuss universal basic income, I was glad to see them at least recognise the need for an increase in universal credit entitlement. However, there's been no such increase announced in employment support allowance. So I want to ask the Prime Minister what plans he has for a similar increase in ESA, and if not, can he explain why he feels people who are sick or have a disability require less support at this time? Prime Minister. As she, as, she, as she knows, what we have done is uh, remove the seven-day waiting time uh, for, for, for ESA. And uh, I'm, I'm glad, though, that she pays tribute to the uh, big increase in universal credit, another £1,040, uh, benefiting uh, 4 million families across this country, uh, a total investment of £7 billion. But I think what everybody wants to see is uh, not just people taking universal credit, but as, as I've said now several times, uh, what they want to see is a careful, sensible programme, attracting the widest possible uh, support uh, to 
continue to suppress the disease right down, but to allow our economy to start up again. Simon Fell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I've been very impressed by how businesses and individuals across my constituency have been buying and lending devices so children can learn at home during this pandemic. This initiative will obviously be significantly enhanced by the 100 million given by the Education Secretary recently. But the member for Harlow, the chair of the Education Select Committee, has suggested that when schools do go back, a catch-up premium should be brought in to close the gap between those most disadvantaged and left behind and their peers who are better off. Constituencies like Barrow, this will make all the difference as we rebuild. Will you commit to such a scheme? Uh, I minister. I thank my honourable friend and uh, I congratulate him on the way he's uh, representing his constituents in Barrow. He's exactly right. That's why, amongst other things, uh, we are uh, ensuring that there are extra computers and laptops uh, for disadvantaged uh, communities. Uh, we're making sure that we supply them with more 4G routers, uh, invaluable at this particularly uh, difficult time. And uh, there will be more to come, Mr Speaker, because this is a government that is going to pursue our agenda of uniting and levelling up across the whole of the UK. Go across to David Linden. David Linden. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Since the government lowered the benefit cap threshold in 2015, it's been frozen, which is essentially a real terms cut every year to those that affects. Now, CPAG, the Resolution Foundation, and the IFS are just some of the voices calling on the government to remove the cap as part of its coronavirus response. And we know that 93% of those households affected by the cap have children, and it's ultimately those children that are losing out from this policy. So will the Prime Minister do the right thing and scrap the cap? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, as, as I've just told the House, I think he asked for the, to lifting the cap on, on, on benefits. And uh, as, as, I've just, uh, as I've just told the House, there's a, already a total of uh, seven billion extra that's gone into, into universal credit alone. Go across to Rob Butler. Rob Butler. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, these are very dark and difficult days, but can I highlight the amazing work that's being done by volunteers across the country to help others? In my own constituency, there are dedicated groups delivering groceries and prescriptions from Stoke and Church to, to, to Bedgrove, from Hewenden to Berryfields. I wonder if my right honourable friend would join me in thanking them all, but perhaps especially uh, congratulating the organisers of Bernie the Bus, which, whilst it collects food for the food bank, plays very loud party music out of the back, bringing a real, uh, a real note of joy and happiness to, to the local communities as it performs a, a valuable public service. Prime Minister. Uh, well, as a, as a thank you, uh, I thank my honourable friend as a, as a great believer in buses and part-time manufacturer. Uh, can, I, can, I, can I agree very strongly with him about the good work done by Bernie, uh, the bus, uh, and all who uh, support it and, and travel uh, therein? We now come to the final question from Lillian Greenwood. Lillian Greenwood. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Community Secretary has rightly recognised that council workers are the unsung heroes of this crisis and promised to give local authorities the resources they need. But my city faces a gap of up to £55 million as a result of extra costs and lost income. Our communities bore the brunt of austerity. They cannot carry the burden of coronavirus. Will he give all councils a cast iron guarantee that they won't be asked to do so? 
Prime Minister. Well, uh, I, I thank her very much, and she, you know, she's absolutely right, as any, anybody knows, to, pay, to draw attention to the, the difficulties, the straitened circumstances, the pressures that local councils have been under. And that's why we put the extra uh, £3.2 billion in uh, immediately to help them cope. Uh, and she should know, by the way, that, uh, that Nottingham, uh, her, her own city, uh, has ha- had already had an extra uh, £19 million to help deal with the, the pressures of uh, coronavirus. And uh, certainly... Uh, that is by no means the last of the support that we will be giving uh, to our fantastic uh, frontline council workers who, as she rightly says, have borne so much of the, uh, of the brunt uh, in this crisis.